Hello, Sobertown. Welcome to the Sobertown podcast. Let's jump on that sober train and ride right into the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety. And real quick, I want to mention the SobertownPodcast.com. It's a website. We have a lot of resources there. Um, come over, see what's going on. We got some amazing blogs by Todd. And it's just, there's a, a lot of whatever way you want to get sober. We're trying to build it um, 12 steps um, or whatever you want want to do. Uh, so come and check us out supertownpodcast.com and today we have amy lavelle level amy level <laughs> correct like correct. emphasize the love like you says yes okay good morning how are you doing oh good morning i'm so good and i'm just so glad you're here it's it, you and i have taken a while to like connect but um here we are we're finally together and you're going to share your story and your journey into um, kind of like IAS and, and what you're doing in your sobriety, your, your journey. So yeah. Why don't you want to, why don't you start out where you'd like to start out? Firstly, thank you so much for having me. And I'm so excited to be here. If you can't already tell by the smile on my face. Um, you're glowing, since- you're radiating and you look, you look absolutely beautiful. Thank you. That's so kind. It's, um, that's one of the gifts of sobriety, I tell you. It is. It is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's funny that you use the word glowing because in, um, in 2019, when I was like practicing sobriety for different intervals of time, I was running into people, you know, in my job, like just in my hometown, I was kind of running into people here and there and it started to be like a joke that everybody I was running into kept saying, you're glowing. And I was like, Oh, Oh, must be the sobriety that I'm working on. And it would be like months later and I'd run into someone else and they'd be like, wow, you're glowing. And I was just like that. What, (laughs) what confirmation, what else did I need to like, you know, it was the, it was the best. So it's really cool that you just said that. So they would like, like see you periodically and they could see the difference. Yeah. 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 That is so cool. And, but it, and it's so true too, because, and you hear everybody talking about my, like, especially the women, my fingernails are stronger. My hair isn't real like me. I keep my head shaved. I want to know the difference, (laughs) (laughs) but it's true. It is true because it's poison and it kills our bodies. It does. It does. Yeah. So where, where would you like to start out? Oh my gosh. All right. Well, let's start. Um, I'll just, I guess I'll just share, like we met on the app on the I am sober app. And, um, so I started the I am sober app in 2019, January 1st was my first day of practicing sobriety for what I had in mind was a goal of 30 days. And so I don't know when I started with the I Am Sober app, but it was sometime in January because I wanted to keep count of my days of sobriety. And I just had that goal of 30 days. It was like, can I do 30 days sober? And this was 2019. And that was a big, um, that was a big 
trial run of like, how deep is this addiction for me? How strong is my dependency on booze? And um, what am I going to find out about myself in these 30 days? So there must have been something that drove you to, to, uh, to start checking your sobriety, right? Yeah. Um, so anybody that knows anything about me, you know that I'm very spiritual and my uh, spiritual roots, like that core of me that I know is and has always been really the driving force in my life to um, to be better and to. Yeah, to like live the life that I think that I'm met, like I'm placed here to live the the like the doorway, the me looking for that has always been spiritual. Um, even when I, ha- even when I was deep in addiction and drinking and I had no relationship with God, um, from my side, he obviously still had relationship with me, but Correct. I had, I had closed that door and I couldn't see, I couldn't feel that connection anymore. And I was connecting with booze instead and, you know, all these false connections. Um, so spirituality definitely was that driving force where I got to the point, honestly, that it was, it, it was becoming more and more clear to me that I wasn't going to be the person that I felt like I needed to be in my life. I couldn't be that person drunk. And, and any of the spiritual gifts that were waiting for me, I just knew that I was no longer, I couldn't, you know, there's a fork in the road. And I couldn't keep going down the one path. I couldn't go down the spiritual path anymore because it was like, no, you need to handle and deal with your addiction or else like this is the end of the road. Unless you figure this out, like you've gone to the top of where you can go in this in this game of, um, yeah, like your spirituality. And there was did nothing. You, did you feel like spiritually dead? Kind of. No, not not. No, um, no, because in. Um, for many years, I'd been working on um, these things in my spiritual life. I had been work, I'd been studying different things, and I'd been waking up to different gifts of mine and beliefs and knowings. Like, um, you know, for me, for me, by the year like 2016, I think 2015, 2016. So I had like a spiritual awakening in 2016. And I became really aware and it was like common sense now at that point that reincarnation was very much a thing and that I had reincarnated many times. Um, there, yeah, there was just a lot of levels of my spiritual growth that were happening and alcohol was dulling that it, there's no question like, alcohol that, so that's was, kind of what you saw was it was when you were at that fork in the road, it was dulling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was like, we're not, it was like, you know, my spiritual guides, like, we're not going to tell you anything else. We're not going to give you anything else because your physical body and your mind, you're poisoning it. And so we can't give you any more of this higher information because you can't process it because you're treating your body like not very well. Right. Yeah. That's pretty deep. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and then, so you got to that fork in the road in 2019 where okay, I'm going to start doing this trial and error with, Mm -hmm. and, and you just happen to land in IAS. Yeah, I actually, so I actually met somebody in 
December of 2018. It was December 24th. It was Christmas Eve. And I happened to go to, um, there was this group that would meet on Tuesday nights and we would do meditation together. And it was just 10 minutes away from my house. So I'd drive there for 10 minutes and we would do meditations on Tuesdays. And the woman running the group would have different people come in and do Reiki healing um, or energy healing. And on December 24th, she had an open house, like Christmas Eve, little afternoon party. Um, and I decided to go. And it was just an afternoon, like it was like between one and three. And I had nothing to do on Christmas Eve um, because there was a lot of things that were changing internally for me. And the magic that Christmas was as a child, I won't get too deep into this, but let's just say that these major religious holidays were holding less and less importance for me. And I was seeing the difference in my heart and soul between the religious holidays that are marked on the calendar versus, you know, having Christ in my heart. And, and it was just, things were shifting. So Christmas felt different. Christmas had been different again for a few years. Um, and so December 24th, I thought there's no place I'd rather be than with this group of people who are also seeking different types of healing and connecting with, with their heart and soul and, and each other. That seems like a good place to be. So I went and there was a woman there, Sheila Jackson, and she did a 20 minute for $20 healing session with me. Um, and it was, <laughs> it was great and it was scary. And it was just the really the tip of the iceberg about what was going to happen between us. So when I was done with that healing session, she actually asked me for my phone number and she said, I want to see you again. And it was the first time that a healer had said that to me. I had done many, I, you know, I'd gone to psychic expos and I've seen a lot of different healers, but this was somebody who was like, I want to work with you. It was like, she knew that there was work to be done. Um, and that, and that she could help me and, and, you know, she wanted to team up together and kind of do this. And so she asked me for my phone number and I was like, perfect. Here's someone who finally like sees in me, this, this spiritual center that I'm trying to access, but it's, it's difficult to do it alone. So she said, let's have a session January 1st. <laughs> I, I'm imagining like Luke Skywalker and Yoda, right? <laughs> the, the power is with you type moment you know what I mean <laughs> okay go ahead yeah it was amazing it was totally profound so six days later it's January 1st 2019 and I'm going to meet with her and I think it was like we made the date for like 12 noon on January 1st and of course I was hungover <laughs> so in that, that Christmas, or sorry, that New Year's Eve, I was working at a restaurant. I was a bartender. Um, and the head bar manager that I worked with, him and I and another waitress had drinks after, you know, the clock struck midnight. We were still at the restaurant when the clock struck midnight. We we're drinking champagne and 
whatever else, you know, we had, which is everything. Cause we were at a bar. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, um, he didn't live too far away. He lived downtown. He said, let's go back to my place and I've got wine and I've got this, I've got that. And it's like, okay, perfect. So New Year's Eve, the three of us stay up until I think, you know, it was like two in the morning and then the other waitress went home and then it's the two of us and we're just drinking wine after wine and singing songs and hanging out. And then it was like 4am and I'm sitting there and I'm drunk and I think I'd had a weed gummy or something. So I'm kind of buzzed as well. And, um, and I didn't, I didn't smoke a lot of weed. Like weed was never my drug per se. So it's like 4am. I'm, I know that I can't get a cab home at this point. And, you know, it was like, it was just, it, you know, it was another one of those moments where I was like, you're here again. Like you're here again at four in the morning at someone's house. And he's like, you can sleep over. And I'm like, I just want my bed. And I know I'm not going to get a cab and it's just a pain in the ass. And I'm drunk as a skunk. And I'm thinking in my head about this healing session I have the next day. And I'm already feeling guilty because I know I'm going to go to it sleep deprived and hungover and feeling like shit. And so I'm already feeling guilty about this. And, um, yeah, it just, it just sucked. So, so I go to the healing session the next day and I was late because I was, you know, hungover, hungover and then yeah, <laughs> yeah. tired and whatever. So I remember I was late and I went and we worked together for an hour. And in that hour, she asked me, she asked me to come back in like 10 days like, I thought we were going to do like, you know, she was going to see me once a month or once a, I don't know how often, but like we did this one session together and she was like, yeah, I need to see, like, I need to see you like again. And I'm thinking like, oh shit, am I that bad? <laughs> like, <laughs> do I need that much help? Like you need to see me, you know, it's like when a therapist is like, I'm going to need to see you on this couch again. Like we're going to do this. Like, <laughs> right. and I'm just like, shit. Um, but I was also really happy because this was somebody that wanted to work with me and like saw potential. Right. Anyway, that, that first session was, uh, I don't remember if it was that day or the next one, like the 10 days later, but she actually said to me, you're an alcoholic. Oh, she did. So is she the one who gave you, told you about the app? No, no, God, no, no. Um, Cause it was January 1st where you also went on to IAS, right? I can't recall whether it was January 1st or if it was just sometime in that month. I think it was just later on in the month okay. when I realized like, okay, it's, you know, I have seven days or I have 10 days. Like, let me get on. And, the app and she's like, telling you you're an alcoholic. Yeah. And, and, but the terrifying part is, is that she's telling me, and I haven't told her anything about my life. I'm just laying on her table holding crystals and she's doing her psychic healing work. And she's talking to me and she's divining information like from my soul and working with my spirit guides. And she's telling me, oh, you're an alcoholic. <laughs> oh, shit. And I'm lying there and I'm like, in, I'm, you know, it was like, there was tears in my eyes, but like, I wasn't letting them come out. 
And I just felt like, you know, I just felt like a mess. And here was someone who was calling me out and she just said the words so casually. And I'm like, I haven't even called myself that. Like this I is the second admitted. time you've met her, right? Yeah. Yeah. And she's using her psychic gifts to be like, you're an alcoholic. Oh, wow. Well, that's <laughs> like throwing the cards right on the table, huh? Totally. Yeah. It was terrifying. It was like really. Um, Talk you know, about that- coming on your side of the street. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I mean, and that word too, like now I all proudly tell you I'm an alcoholic. I say right. that with pride. It's a badge of honor to me. It's, it's here's something that God gave me to work through and work with. And I'm proud to say I'm an alcoholic and, and like, look what I've done with this. Look what I've right. done with this illness that, you know, almost took me out this time, this time, this time, and this time here I am today. And I'm can proudly say that, but when she said it, it was like, Oh my gosh, it, it was totally shook me. And, and I'm thinking like, how do you know? Right. I'm thinking like, no, this is my secret. Like, so not only has she like unveiled my secret, but she did it without, without me really telling her my whole life. I didn't tell her my whole life story. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, but so she is that when you started getting into pursuing because you started yeah. pursuing sobriety like somewhere around that, right? Yeah. Well, that that January first, twenty nineteen. After that, you know, that stupid New Year's Eve, which was a number of stupid New Year's Eves. It was like, okay, let's do something about this. And so I think her calling me that, like that, that shifted something too. It was like, okay, so the secret's out. Um, and I had wanted to know also, like I had been for months leading up to that. I had been that person. I read the AA Bible. Like I opened it up because my dad had it because my dad's an alcoholic. So I had the AA Bible in my house and I opened it up and I read it and the whole time reading it, it was like, you know, when you're in denial, so you're trying to, you're reading it and you're seeing the reflection of you and you're like, oh shit, that's me. That's me. That's me. And then there's the other side of you that's going like, oh, but I'm not that bad. I haven't had that experience. I haven't been, I haven't blacked out for 10 days and don't remember anything. And, oh, I've never lost my job. And I haven't been divorced over this. So not that I've been married over it either, but (laughs) you don't wake up in Vegas. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I'm reading the AA Bible and I'm like, I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm totally, you know, yeah. Half of me is in denial. And the other half is like, well, this sounds like me. Um, Yeah. So Sheila was the one who really brought it out there and just said, you're an alcoholic. And the gift that she was offering me in her healing sessions with this, with this new method of the spiritual healing where she used crystals and Reiki and um, like meditation and just really beautiful, like visionary guiding. She was just so talented and so gifted and so yeah, that was the crossroads. It was like, do you want to heal or do you want to continue to punish yourself? Yeah, I see that. 
Yeah. Definitely. But I was working at a bar. So <laughs> right. <laughs> that was um, in many ways, that first 30 days of sobriety was like, that showed me how strong I was because in 30 days I was working at a bar where that head manager that I'd been drinking with on New Year's Eve, he was kind of two-faced in the way that he was supporting me. But with the words out of his mouth, he would say like, good for you. And cause I would remind him, I said, I'm seven days sober. So no drinks tonight. Or I was like 13 days and he's like, you want to have a drink? And I'm like, no, remember I'm doing, I'm trying to do 30 days in a row. And so he was support, he'd say like, I'm, you know, good for you. And like, that's great. And he'd say supportive things. And then on the flip side, he'd ask me every night if I wanted to have a drink with him. So it was like this really twit, like it showed me how strong I could be. I remember one night and it was probably day like 20 or 21. And he asked me three different times that night if I wanted to have a drink with him. And by the third time I was laughing because it was like, the devil had come down and reincarnated into this head bartender to give me this test of like, are you going to have a drink tonight? And I laughed the third time I laughed. I was like, ha ha ha. Like, no, I'm not. And you know, what do you think of that? Like I, I knew where I stood and it, it, it only took me I mean, I'm going to say it only took me 21 days, but really it took my whole life, right? <laughs> sure, it did. It really did. <laughs> it took my whole life. But in those 21 days, I, for the first time, I was noticing that I was smiling more, laughing more. Things that would make me mad and impatient and frustrated at work were suddenly making me, like I was choosing a different response and not even really aware of it. It was unconscious. I was unconsciously, just because I wasn't poisoning my system anymore with booze, I was unconsciously like laughing or responding like with more kindness in me. And I was noticing it. I was like, oh, wow, I'm being nicer to my, to my, like my fellow coworkers, or I'm being more patient with these customers, or it was just, and Drifter, it was, um, I noticed the physiological effects too. It was powerful. I noticed them in the first 30 days of sobriety. And so this is why I was laughing at him when he asked me that third time to have a drink with him. It was like, I could see so clearly the benefits now. I could see so clearly that this was a path that I wanted to take. Even and this though was like organically happening, all of these things too, right? Yes. I mean, by this time, I mean, you, you were like doing 30 days, but were you like pursuing any, any texts or anything as you were going or just doing like 30 days on your own? 30 like, days on my own. Yeah. In yeah. the devil's playground. Yes. Yes. <laughs> With the devil right in front of you. <laughs> yes. Yes. Amy, <laughs> here you go. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was awesome. It was really awesome. Um, I had done, I should mention, I had done 21 days of sobriety in January of 2017 um, because I'd heard 21 days makes a habit. And so I loosely had this goal in 2017 of doing 21 days of sobriety. And I was dating somebody at the time. And in, in my, from my point of view, he also had problems with drinking. 
And so I thought, here's something great that the two of us can do together. Let's try to do 21 days of sobriety and then see how we feel afterwards, see where it's going to take us. Um, and so that was an experiment in 2017. And I successfully did 21 days, but that was it. It was like the 22nd day, I was like, oh, fuck, like, give me my bottle back. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but you were on a different level then. I mean, by then you hadn't had Sheila telling you you're an alcoholic. So it was a yeah. totally and, you know, you just had to go through what you went through. It took your whole life, like you said, to get where you were. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, when we started this call, like I believe in divine timing. I believe, yeah, like I believe that when the situation presents itself and we're ready, then, then it. Yeah, I'm 58. I'm I'm pretty hard headed for my divine timing. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. But here, but it's here now and I can accept it, which is really cool. And it's a cool, it may have taken this time, but now, you know, it's built something in me that's, uh, I'm not walking away without a foundation this time. I'll tell you. Yes. That's beautiful. So let's get back to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to say more about that for anyone who's listening, who is in those beginning stages, um, you know, whether you're in your first 30 days um, or in your first, you know, 10 days or, you know, whatever it is. So I I think there is, like I said, there's something to be said for this divine timing when you're ready for it and it's ready for you, that it sticks. A Um, lot of people say that click, that click moment. You hear that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And it it doesn't mean, and it doesn't mean don't try like hell. (laughs) It doesn't mean that, you know, it, it, it does mean try like hell because the more you try like hell, hmm? you have to pursue it. Yeah. 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 Because you were pursuing it in the devil's playground, Amy. I mean, this guy's right. I mean, it could have been easier. It could have been either way, but you're like, ha ha ha. Hell no. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Free drinks every night. Do you want a drink? And you're right there. Yeah. That's amazing. But, Mm -hmm. and that's the thing that um, there is divine timing, but you, you, you have to do action. There's action that goes. Yeah. You have to seize that opportunity. And, um, and I was fortunate that I had that opportunity in 2019 and I was aware enough. I was conscious enough. I'll say like, I had a, aside from booze and the descent into also drug use, I had a good relationship with my body. I ate what I felt was a healthy diet and I worked out And there was a lot of things that I did, um, where I took care of my body and, and I thought I took care of my thoughts. Um, you know, and I, so I practiced yoga and I played volleyball and I did the sports that made me feel good. And, you know, I got those endorphins and, um, yeah, there was a lot of things that I, like I said, there was the fork in the road. So there's a lot of things I was working on to make myself this, this, version of myself that I believed was, was here all along, like the best version I could be. And then there was just what I was doing to, um, what's that word? 
sabotage. There was the yes. what I was doing to sabotage. Yeah. And that's um, what addiction does. It is sabotages everything in your life. Yeah. So in January, 2019, I experienced, and it was just like really small, subtle experiences. Like I said, if I didn't notice, I noticed I was laughing more. I noticed I smiled and I knew how it felt. And like, it's hard to explain, but I, I had that feeling like, oh, that laughter came from somewhere deep down that I really hadn't heard in a long time. Actually, I, I think a lot of people can relate with you on this because you see it in the first week and the first two weeks and stuff that, that from day zero, you know, after you get even a couple of days sober, people start noticing changes. Yeah. 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 The problem is when we're, we're sabotaging ourselves in so many different ways. So like I said, I was fortunate where I got to this point where there was at least some awareness of, of those small, subtle changes that were happening. Um, and I wasn't on any medication. Like I had been in, oh, years before I was taking antidepressants. And so again, fortunately, I wasn't taking antidepressants. Like there wasn't anything else that was screwing up my, um, my chemicals, the chemicals in my brain. It was just booze and drugs. (laughs) That's enough. (laughs) That's quite enough. That's quite enough. So, yeah, but moving forward, it was like, um, I saw Sheila then, you know, every 10 days, like she wanted. And then gradually I started to see her less and less. And it was like once a month and all of 2019, I kept making new goals for myself. So by the end of those 30 days, I accomplished the 30 days. I gave myself that pat on the back because it's important to do that, to stop and go, hell yeah, I did that. And so I celebrated that 30 days and and I mean, I internally celebrated it. I, you know, yeah, I, I, I was hoping you'd like going to grab a bottle and start. Somewhere. No, <laughs> okay. No, the celebration was like for me. And it was like, you did it. And, and just, I, and I gave myself that kudos, um, which maybe I didn't give myself that time where I did 21 days, the 21 days that I did, I didn't really give myself the kudos. It wasn't like yeah, I didn't really celebrate it. I just went, okay. Give me the bottle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, great, you did that. Okay, let's go back to destroying right. this, this body and mind. Yeah, I didn't do that this time. I, in fact, I felt like I had a glimpse. I had a, those shimmering glimpses of what life could be more consistently. And so that excited me. And even though I was terrified, I was so scared of what else I might find as I continued to pursue sobriety. It was finally, my fear was just a little bit less. Like it was the tipping point. The fear was now 49% and the excitement was 51%. Right. And that was enough to be like, okay, cool. So you did 30 days. That was exciting. And what else can you do? What else can you do? And I just, I had that knowing of there is more here to work with and for there's more for me here. So let's do it again. And so I did it again. So let's do this because I want to cut, cut this in 30 minute segments. And can you believe 30 minutes? We just blew 30. It happens so quick, doesn't it? 
Yeah. It's like, hold it, we just started this like a couple of minutes ago. And it's like, <laughs> like with Lilo and, and Molly and, and everybody else, Rags, it's like, bam, 30 minutes, bam, 30 minutes. And then it's, well, you're into three hours and you're like, wow, how the hell did that happen? So um, there was a process you went through and you were going to do another 30 days. Yes. And I'll mention that before that, before I made that commitment to myself again, I, um, what are the words I'm going to use here? Um, I guess I gave myself permission, you know, I was fragile, right. But I kind of gave myself that permission to, um, to have drinks. And so it was February and that was the Super Bowl, and someone's having a Super Bowl party. Um, and I went to the Super Bowl party and I brought my non-alcoholic beer. Okay. And so my intention was to drink non-alcoholic beer. And, um, even though I was with people that I played volleyball with and the people I played volleyball with, I drank a lot around also. Um, so it was definitely like a trigger. It was an environment that I knew was going to have some trigger factors in it for me. And when I went, um, really sadly, one of my friends that I played volleyball with, his son had passed away. Um, I want to say like, it was just a few months before, maybe, maybe up to six months before. Um, but his son had passed away from, um, I believe it was from drug use, his 19 year old son, that was a really talented volleyball player. Wow. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, so it was, it was being around this person was, you know, you could feel his grief one. I could feel his grief when I entered the room and two, he was, again, I'm cautious not to call other people alcoholics because I believe that's something that you, um, you give yourself that term if you, if you want to, if, if it's right for you. So I'm cautious not to call someone else an alcoholic. Um, but from my point of view, this person was definitely masking their grief with alcohol use. Yes. Yes. And so being in that room with him was, I mean, it wasn't fun. I'm going to say that. And I don't even like the Super Bowl. Like, I don't care about, but I don't care about these big, I'm, I'm terrible, but I just, it's, I wasn't there. I'll, for, to I'll forgive you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't there and watched football. Um, but yeah, being there. He, so he actually poured some shots and handed me a shot. And, um, I was very vocal to my friends here about what I was doing too. Like I, they knew I was drinking my non-alcoholic beer. Um, but he handed me a shot and he was, and he was really pressuring me, right. To drink. Um, this is something that happens in these beginning stages of sobriety, because we have, like I said, like the devil incarnates, and suddenly everybody everywhere is going, have a drink, have a drink, have a drink. And you, so you really have to have like your self-awareness, you know, you have to be present enough with yourself and your own desires to say, no, I don't want that. Yeah. And he'll and, even put the alcohol somewhere. Like you open a cupboard and there's a bottle that you stashed last year 
and all of a sudden, where did that come from? Yeah, I mean, there's all the yeah. different ways. So go ahead. Yeah. Anyways, he handed me a shot and he said, take it for William, who was his son that passed away. And so I, I did. And I took the shot. And, um, and I went home that night after just having that one shot. And it was, like I said, it, well, I didn't have very much fun. <laughs> right. And so there was kind of, I guess, this shifting of gears where I was realizing, okay, so maybe you don't spend time around these people anymore because it's not worth it. So that was kind of my month of February. There was a couple, couple different nights. Uh, the Junos came to London, Ontario, which is where I live in Canada. And the Junos are this like big award show. And so it was kind of a big deal that they, the award show was here in London. And I was again, working at this bar and the Junos are across the street. And it was definitely a night for celebrating and drinking was involved. And that night, I remember I had two Coronas and those two Coronas, like I still remember the feeling of having these two Coronas because I drove home from, from work that night after the two Coronas. And it was, I felt so, there was so much feeling attached to it. I was felt like paranoid that I was going to get caught driving and blow over if the cops caught me or so, you know, um, and it was really kind of a phantom fear because I had driven numerous times with way more alcohol in my system. But that particular night, it was kind of like, oh no, like I just really had that feeling of um, like someone's watching me. <laughs> but Paranoia. Yeah, yeah. But I think it was more like now looking back on it, I can tell you it's because I was watching me. I was aware of me and like, you know, there's a voice in my head going like, this is stupid. Like you're, you know, it's not worth it. Cause yes, if somebody does stop you for, you know, you didn't signal and then you do blow over because that can happen with two beers in two hours, but then you're fucked. <laughs> so what are you doing? It was just, you know, I had a couple of those in, uh, in February. And so, yeah, it just became, let's do that. Let's do that sober thing again. Let's try it again. Um, and I think I made, I think I did 60 days that time. Um, but I kept increasing that goal. So throughout 2019, it was like, I did the 60 days. I gave myself that pat on the back. Um, I think I had, I, I, I think I had some drinks. Well, I know I had some drinks because, <laughs> because my sober, yeah, because my sober <laughs> date is what it is. But, um, and then I tried for 90 days. And the 90 days, that was, that was a big one, like three months. Like that was, that felt huge. It, that was a really big test of like, can I really do this? Cause this is a lot, this is a lot in a row. And I didn't have a lot of support at that time. It was, re it really felt like me against the world. It was. Um, yeah. Cause you're really actually by yourself doing this. During yeah, I really was. Yeah. I had. I mean, I was connecting with Sheila once a month. So I had her guidance and she was connecting me again with my spirit guides. And so I had this support and actually Drifter, it's kind of amazing because she was connecting me with my deceased grandparents. <laughs> and so one of the sessions that I had with her, she, she said to me, 
your grandfather is here and your grandmother is here on my dad's side who had passed away my grandfather long before I was born and my grandmother passed away when I was two years old. So in 1980, no, 1990, I was born in 88. So 1990, my grandmother- Same as my son. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, so she had these two people that I never knew really in this life and they were coming through, their spirits were coming through and they were supporting me. They knew what I was doing and they were giving me encouragement and they were for, saying for being sober. They were yes. specifically. Yes. Wow. That's really, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the, the spirit world is in touch with our sobriety. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I never really well, even considered that. That's crazy. That's badass. I think so too. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. It was, um, so like I said, I, um, when I say like I was alone, it was me versus the world. I'm quickly reminded that that's a, that's never the case. Even when you feel like you're alone, you are not alone. Um, and B there's unseen forces that are always supporting you. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to be connected with them through Sheila. And so even where I didn't feel like, you know, my friends were supporting me, um, and I didn't really, I didn't feel a family support very much either. Um, not but you're getting that, this spiritual support. Yes. So this yes. whole new idea is evolving for you too. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The fork in the road suddenly became like connected. And yes, I would felt very like every step of the way, it was just like a little more, a little more sure that this is where I wanted to go. Wow. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. So then I guess you got, this went to all the way to where you decided you're going to take the big leap and just be sober, I guess. Not, not quite. Not yet. <laughs> oh, not yet. <laughs> Woo! After, after 90 days of sobriety, I said, I have to do a hundred. Of course I have to do a hundred. Um, three digits, right? Right. There you go. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine, my beautiful darling friend, Catherine, who I've actually known since birth. Um, our dads are very close friends. We're very close friends when they were 16 years old, they met and Catherine was, um, you know, like a sister to me and she had done 100 days of sobriety I think back in like 2016 when I was actively drinking and really had no interest um, in pursuing sobriety, but she had done 100 days in a row. And I remember seeing her when she was like 80 days or something like that. And she was glowing. She was glowing. And that was a great example for me. So after I did these 90 days of sobriety, I was like, I want to be like Catherine. I want to do 100 days. That was really cool. Like she inspired me. And even, even though here's the thing, even though we go back, even though we go back to drinking and, and this path is not linear, there's always a gift there always. And so Catherine had done 100 days of sobriety with that intention of doing 100 days. And all these years later, 
I'm remembering it and being inspired by that and thinking if she could do that, I think I could do that. Let's find out if I can. Right. So I went for it and I went 100 days um, and, and succeeded and gave myself the pat on the back and said, like, yes, you, you thought you could, you know, you had the belief, you had the intention, you did it. And, um, and that was huge. It was huge. Um, by that time I had been posting on the app. And so I, it's funny, I actually scrolled back the other day because I wanted to see some of my posts from the very beginning. And I think that I've posted so much now that my earliest posts have actually been archived. I don't oh, think really? you, yeah. I, I scrolled back to see kind of how long you've been on the app. And I saw your first post was around three months, I think is what I saw. Okay, okay. yeah. So I, so I wasn't sure. Yeah, I wasn't sure if um, that's when you, if you had gotten sober before and then found the app. And then, so how did you find the app? Um, I don't know who it was anymore, but some definitely there is somebody who said, I use this app and, you know, get it and use it and see what you think. So there, you, did you just use it as a counter to start off with? Yes. Those first, that January, February, March, April, like I said, those probably the first five months of the year I used as a counter. I read everybody's stories and I would, um, you know, I'm doing the comparison with the people that are, have the same number of days as me and I'm reading their stories and I'm feeling supported by what they're saying and the challenges they're going through. And I really feel like we're in it together. So even though, like I said, I didn't feel like I had this family support. I didn't feel like I had friends support, but I definitely had support from God, the angels, my ancestors, and then the app, even yes. though I wasn't, mm -hmm, even though I wasn't posting, um, I wasn't posting until, like you said, up until about three months or so but I was reading everyone's stories and I was pledging. That was, oh my gosh, Drifter. I just remembered how important that was because I pledged every single day. And I, I don't pledge today. Um, I don't wake up in the morning and pledge right away. I have, I have different routines and different things that keep me centered and grounded and, and sure of my path. But pledging on the app was something that I did religiously. And I in the, loved it. In the beginning, it. yeah. Yes. And that's something my son's doing right now. My yeah. oldest son, he's on there. I, um, I'm not, I just going to keep his anonymity, but he's yeah. doing that right now. And he's excited about pledging like you're talking about right now. Yeah. Yeah. I loved doing it. And I told people about it. I like, I shared, I said, oh, I have this cool app. And every morning it goes off at 9am and says, you know, will you pledge your sobriety today? And I check yes. And then at seven o'clock at night, because I didn't want to go too late into the night, but I would had it set because you can change those settings. And I had it set for 7 p.m. And it would go off at 7 p.m. and say, did you stay sober today? And every time when I clicked yes, it was like, yes. Like there was that sense of accomplishment. It was beautiful. So yes. simple. You know? So simple, but perfect. Magical. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're doing and it. You're ex and exci it's exciting. 
it was exciting. And it was like those few words of support because the app would send you a message and say, like, good job. And it would say, you know, it would say really neat things. Like it would say, I don't know if you remember some of them. The I, I've never, I never have done that myself. I never pledged. Oh, really? Yeah. But I know, I don't, I know a lot of people that do. Yeah. I don't, I don't really write anything in the app. I don't really pledge. Uh, I just wake up and I'm going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> That's my mindset. I'm, yeah. you know, every day I'm going to do this. So, yeah. Well, I love the messages. Like you just got little motivational quotes that just said, like, it just made you feel like a superhero for the day. But it still sends you those quotes every day. Uh, even if you don't pledge for me, it still gave me, um, okay, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool too. Yeah. Perfect. I like that. So, um, you're on the app and, and that's when you decided, when was it that you decided I'm just, I'm in all the way. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Well, I decided 100 days felt really, really good. And I was super, super proud of that moment, that milestone. Um, Like I said, I was also now connecting with people from the app and I really felt this kinship with them. I felt close to them and they knew things about me now that I didn't share with other people in my personal life, like in my hometown. Um, And so it's funny because there's this gradual shift that I can look back on now and I see like the incremental shift of where my values were changing. Suddenly my values were not like, it definitely wasn't how drunk can I get tonight? It wasn't how can I mask this pain? It wasn't, you know, booze above everything else. And it wasn't even like my, you know, my friendships were changing. Um, And there was periods of loneliness for sure. There was periods of, but I started to see the value in that too. I think that's. So back in that time too, though, that app was a lot different app. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't. Go ahead. It just wasn't as super user friendly and it was a bit more um, archaic. <laughs> and from what I've been told, you couldn't even really respond to each other back then. You were just like posting, weren't you? I think you could still respond, but a lot of us didn't know that we wouldn't get the notification. It didn't give you notifications. So if somebody responded to you, you'd have to go back to their post, to their wall and check on it. You know, like you didn't know, you didn't get that notification saying that somebody responded to you. And so you could, but back then we only followed, it was like, you could follow up to 50 people. And so I only, I think I only had like, you know, 20 or 25 people that I was routinely um, chatting with and going back and forth and they would post on my milestones and I would post on their milestones and we were kind of celebrating together. So it was, it, it, you know what? I actually really liked it because it was definitely not as user friendly. It was a bit archaic, like I said, but it was doing everything I needed it to do. I had the friendships were building and you can't 
doesn't matter how fancy your app is. If you don't have real people using it and trying to accomplish real things, then none of, none of the rest of it matters because that's what we were. We were real people trying to accomplish a real thing, the real problem. And we were really connecting heart to heart. People were sharing, people were being vulnerable. People were being supportive. People were celebrating each other. And that was the beautiful community that I grew up in. That was the beautiful space that, that really was nurturing this, this new person inside of me that wanted to shine. Um, Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Because that's really cool with, that's what helped me break. I had three years where I couldn't even go one day without drinking, getting around all of you guys um, and being able to pose to read and know that I'm not alone was the game changer. I, I yeah. relapsed twice, and then I, after I drunk text into the app, I'm like, okay, this is my last chance, and I can't blow this. I can't destroy these relationships like I'm, I've done everywhere else. So, right. and, that, and even in the app, I've done that because I'm, I got this manic thing that I do, but um, <laughs> I'm still working on that. But so you built um, this, you were involved with this virtual community. Yeah. Is that like I mean, kind of like were you ready for that for to get sober with a virtual community? Oh my god. <laughs> no, I I never thought that that was what I never knew that that was the path that I was going to go down. Like I said, I read the AA Bible and I kind of thought my dad did Alcoholics Anonymous and I thought that was the way that you did it. And and how else was I going to do it if I was, you know, if I was really as dependent as I thought I was? And I was more, once you, once you dig down, you realize, oh, it's actually, it's got a stronger hold on me than I even knew. Um, but yeah, I thought AA was the thing. And so I didn't, I, I had no idea that what, what was on the app was going to help me the way that it did. And it was such a team effort. It was like, yeah, I feel so blessed that that was a way to get sober. and then. Again, I'll say that the pandemic, when that began, that was another blessing for our community because now we had a reason that we really needed to have Zoom calls and we needed to have meetings online. We needed to see each other and we needed to support each other weekly. Um, For those people on the app who also used AA, who were now getting robbed of that opportunity wherever they lived, you know, that's the amazing thing about the app too, is that it's worldwide. There are people, yes. I, have, I have friends all over the world now because of that. And, um, and these people were, like I said, they're robbed of the opportunity to go to AA meetings in person, which is their lifeline. It was, that was a tragic thing in my view. And so the pandemic began and, and um, I remember thinking in my mind, we should probably do some Zoom calls. Wouldn't that be great? And I was thinking about that for a few weeks when when suddenly Chef and Raul and Helen and um, Patty and Colleen, suddenly everybody had got together and, and handed out a Zoom call address. And I was like, oh, really? We're doing it? Because I had been thinking about it for weeks. 
And I hadn't said anything to anybody else, but I'd been thinking about it. Clearly they'd been thinking about it. And then we had that first meeting. Um, and I don't know whether I was at the very first one or, you know, second or third, it doesn't matter, but um, yeah, it was like, it, we, right away, people were like, this was awesome. And we should do this, you know, we should definitely do this once a week and we should invite anybody who wants to come. Um, it was so valuable for so many people and continues to be. I just came in. I just came in during that time when um, it was announced that um, there were going to be unofficial zooms. Yeah. Starting. And I thought that was pretty cool. Really. It was but, so exciting. Oh, yeah. But I was like, uh, oh, there's no way I'm going to show my face and let anybody know. I was like paranoid, you know. Yeah. So and so you were basically around uh, when all that began, too. Yeah. You know what I want to say about that, too, is that um, for me, the from my very first post and my username, my username on the app is Amy Lovell. It's my name. And my posts were, you know, from my heart and my pictures were my face. I was posting my face. I was using my real name and I was speaking from the heart. And that was like, I didn't want to be anonymous. Right. It was like my secret was out. And so if it was going to be out, like what better group of people to be honest and genuine with than all of these people who are trying to accomplish the same thing that I was. Yes. So that was important to me. And then once these Zooms uh, got going and stuff, then you jumped in and you started hosting Zooms. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think I would ever do that either. Did you have a, like the first time you went on a Zoom? Was you, were, Did you have a hard time like talking or uh getting involved um you know what I had a hard time with is I didn't have a computer and I only had my cell phone so our first zoom meetings were on my cell phone and it would drain my battery so much so I would be I lived in an apartment um that didn't have air conditioning so it was hot I would go rollerblading before our Zoom meetings. It was like Saturday afternoon. I would go rollerblade and I'd come back for a Saturday 5 p.m. Zoom meeting. I would get on my phone, which already had like less than half the battery because I'd be rollerblading, listening to music. And so the hard part was I'd be like sweating buckets in my hot apartment on my cell phone. And I couldn't see everybody because you have to scroll through your phone. If there's 20 people on a Zoom call, it only gives you like four people. Right. So the hard part, I would be like, who's here? Who's all here? <laughs> all right. uh, yeah. So that's really cool. So, I mean, you went through all that to stay involved because your sobriety is so important to you. Yes. Yes. And it was, so, it was funny because I was kind of embarrassed that I was like, it was like I couldn't afford a computer. So I was embarrassed that I was like on my phone and that I was like, and I'm in like this sweaty, hot apartment, <laughs> <It was> just, <laughs> you know, but it was I, it, anyway, it was uh, no, I wouldn't trade that for anything. So there had to have been a time, a point in all of this where you decided that I like the sober life so much. Um, I'm going to start just pursuing this life. 
Yeah. Because oh, you really, you, you really, yeah, go ahead. We're, I was just going to say, we're getting to the really good part. Okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to hear the really good part? Yes, I do. Okay. So the really good part is when I had my last weekend, uh, it was a girls weekend at the beach uh, with friends of mine that I'd known you know, since I was very young, some of which were the first people that I ever drank alcohol with. And we went to the beach and had a beach weekend and, and had drinks. And, um, this was my last weekend unbeknownst to me. This was the last weekend that I had a sip of alcohol. And I drove home from the beach with one of my girlfriends in the car. And she kind of asked me about my sobriety. And I, because I shared with her, like, you know, that was fun. And, um, it was great to get together with you guys and hang out at the beach. And, um, I said, but I'm, I'm not going to be drinking tomorrow. And, and she knew all about my 30 days, 60 day, 90 day, 100 day. She knew all about those accomplishments, those milestones. And so she was supportive and she was like, cool, cool. Like, um, you know, go for it. And so that next day, you know, it was like Monday or Tuesday. Um, I think it was a long weekend. So we might've come home from the beach on a Monday. Um, and yeah, I started that counter up again and I pledged my sobriety every day. And I actually posted like now at this point, I was super open. Like I was posting, not just in the app, but I was posting on my Instagram page. I was posting to all my, you know, anybody who followed me like 400 people on Instagram that, that knew me in high school or, you know, various ways that they were connected to me. And, um, yeah. And I was very vocal there as well. So I posted my day one on the Instagram page. And I said, I said, um, I restarted my counter and here I am at day one. And, you know, all I've learned through these periods of sobriety is that sobriety is the best gift that I've ever given to myself. And I want to keep giving it to myself every single day. Um, like here I go. And I can't wait to I think I actually said, there's one thing that I know, but I'll call and that it's that it dulls my fucking shine. <laughs> right on. <laughs> And I wanted to shine in my life. You know, I was done dulling this spark within me. Um, so yeah, so I started that counter again and I planned a trip to Costa Rica. Um, so that counter that when you started that, that was 22, almost 23 months ago then. Correct. And that was it. Yep. And there was like no turning back. I did this sobriety is a gift. It's a fucking gift and I'm going for it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this trip to Costa Rica actually, again, was another huge shift in my commitment to my sobriety, my dedication to this new person that I wanted to be. Um, And it was a deeper dive into why I had gone so deep into addiction in the first place, because in my, in that path that I just described to you through 2019, um, 
really what I was doing is uncovering like these lost parts of myself and recognizing what needed to be healed. And, you know, why did I drink in the first place? What was, what was I covering up anyways? What was I hiding myself from? Um, there was a book and I have to mention this book because it really, it became my Bible. It was what the AA Bible is to some people. This book, Dr. Gabor Mate wrote in the realm of hungry ghosts. And when I read that, it really helped me to see the alcohol addiction, both in myself and in my family. And it helped me to understand and like, and really practice like forgiveness and compassion for myself. Not like, oh, you did this bad thing and now you need to get better. Like, yeah, that wasn't, that was no longer my mentality. Where in the very beginning, my mentality was kind of like, you know, you're sick and it's, yeah, my mentality was a, was harsher. It was really like judgmental about myself and just not, didn't offer myself a lot of love, but Dr. Gabor Mate in his writing of that book, he really emphasized that it's not your fault. Like addiction is not your fault. Um, and when he said things like that, it made me realize one that, oh, part of me really had believed that for a long time, actually. I didn't really realize that. That you blamed yourself and you were self-critical. Yes. yes, yes, yeah. I blamed myself. I, I blamed my genetics. My dad was an alcoholic, um, self-professed alcoholic. Um, addiction really ran, yeah, alcohol dependency and addiction ran through my family. And so, you know, both parents, you know, uncles, grandparents, like it just, it spread. And I looked and I could see it everywhere through my family line. So it was like, I either I blame myself or I blame them, but like it, you realize that there's no blame. There's that's. No, and actually you have a gift that you've been giving to step out of that. Yeah. Not only to step out of that, but maybe to teach the, the, the generations coming up that they don't have to, to live in that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's not a bad thing. Uh, no. what, what's happened. It's more of a gift. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it takes, um, it takes like going through that experience to come to that understanding. Yes. Because if you, if you asked me even a year ago, I think, you know, if you asked me if I thought my alcoholism was a gift, I, I don't think I would have <laughs> agreed with you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But you it's know? all evolved. All, all this has evolved. Yeah. Yeah. So it takes a long time. It takes. Um... Let's take another break. We'll take another break and then we'll be right back. Okay. Okay. We're back. And then now you want to jump. Uh, you want to finish up with Costa Rica. Yes. You have to hear about Costa Rica. We're not finish um, up. That's our next phase. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> um. This trip, so I booked this trip and again, like there's something about divine timing and forces 
that are beyond our control that are really working to help us like guide us towards the best possible version of us, I believe. Um, And this is nine months into your sobriety after you made that, that um, this is not, no, was this nine months into your sobriety when you went there? Yeah, I was nine months sober. I think um, just like the day before that I went to Costa Rica. Gotcha. Yep. Um, that trip, I went to use plant medicine during that trip. And it's something I'd heard about, about five years before, but it took hold of me and it was kind of in my peripheral awareness of something that I wanted to try. Um, the book that I mentioned in the realm of hungry ghosts by Dr. Gabor Mate, um, that book was my lifeline, right? And Gabor Mate, like I soaked up everything that he preached and he talked about childhood trauma being the common denominator of addiction. So we, th- you know, like I said, I could blame my genetics. I could blame myself. I can blame whatever. Um, but he believed childhood trauma, unhealed childhood trauma was the basis for every like addiction. And the more that I read his stuff, the more it was like, oh yes, that's, that rings true. That rings true. And I knew there was some work that I had to do in that area. Um, But he was also a fan of plant medicine. And so he was the one that kind of gave me that idea that plant medicine could help me here. Um, I was interested in plant medicine from a spiritual perspective as well. And then here's this doctor who's a world-renowned doctor in addiction specialty. And he's saying that ayahuasca can help to heal your, your addictive behaviors. And so I'm like, okay, this is a no-brainer. Like, I want to go. Um, before I went, this was probably the greatest challenge, one of the greatest challenges of my life. Because before you went... You had to be one month sober. Um, if you were, um, if you smoked weed, you had to be two weeks free from smoking weed. Okay, you so had- was this a, a meeting? This was some kind of convention or something that you went to? It was a retreat. <clears throat> oh, a retreat. Okay. Yes. Yeah, it was a retreat in Costa Rica at a place called Solterra. And they would hold these ayahuasca ceremonies with, they'd bring in shamans from Peru. They'd bring the ayahuasca um, from Peru. And they would have these facilitators in ceremony. And you'd have like 20 people in a ceremony um, on this gorgeous location, this really secluded, beautiful space. And and everyone was there for different reasons, but the, the common denominator is like, you know, we want to heal. There's, there was something we wanted to heal. So I was there primarily for addiction and, um, and to, again, dive deeper into my spirituality. Other people were there from different traumas, whether they had um, sexual traumas, um, lots of childhood stuff, right? Um, lots of family, um, lots of family traumas. I can't even, but it was all about healing. It was all about healing. Yeah. Yeah. 
it was, it was beautiful, but it was the, it was hands down, like the scariest thing I've ever done in my whole life, hands down easily. So before I even got there, before I even could get to that point where I'm drinking this ayahuasca, which terrified the shit out of me because of what I'd heard before, um, they told you, you had to be one month sober from booze, two weeks sober from weed, uh, two weeks, no meat, no dairy, no spicy food less oils and salts in your diet and no sex before going. So there were all these things that said, Oh, and no caffeine. Wow. Yes. Wow. So I'm like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I'm, I'm nine months sober from booze and you're asking me to do all these other things. Like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, what this, the hell am I going to do on the plane? <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh. Like it was, that was a challenge. That was a big, big, that was a huge undertaking. That's a huge list. Yes. 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 And I was, um, you know, I wanted to accomplish those things. I wanted to do everything on that list because it was written there for a reason. And, you know, they gave you once, once I paid for my retreat and booked my flight and all this other stuff, they gave you that information. And it was like, that was for the, your benefit, right? If you're going to drink ayahuasca, it was like, clean out your body, clean out your minds, like do these things. They suggested having um, a small meditation practice or a yoga practice beforehand. Like there was a lot going into that, that was recommended for you. And it cost me a lot of money. It was a big, big deal. So it cost me money. It cost me time away from work. It cost me traveling to a different continent. Like it was a big undertaking. That was the first time that I flew sober alone. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, A lot of things right there. That's a lot. That's huge, huge challenge. (laughs) But I'm go big or go home. So I see that. Yeah. (laughs) So I wanted to do it and I was, I was signed up and I was ready to go. I'd had a call with the therapist beforehand. Um, He would have a 20 minute intake call with every single person that signed up and he would either, you know, give you the green light or give you a yellow light and have to have a follow-up call. Or if you had um, some things that would really take you off the list from drinking ayahuasca so if you had certain um, mental illnesses, like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, um, psychosis, like there were things that are a no-no for drinking ayahuasca. And again, this is this is just right for me, right? I'm not a professional. <laughs> right. right. I'm not a professional in this, but just from somebody who's... Uh, who's tried it. And, and I remembered filling out that medical form and I was totally honest. And it was like, have you had suicidal thoughts? Yes. Have you ever been on antidepressants? Yes. Have you, um, had addiction? Yes. You know, there was a lot of things that I was like, okay, yep, here's me. And the therapist called me and and asked me a couple questions and, you know, why do you want to go on this journey? Um, and I was very honest, very transparent about all of it. And he said, okay, like he needed to have, um, another follow-up call. And I said, okay, great. Um, and so we did. And the follow-up call, I got to tell him, you know, those, those suicidal thoughts that I, that I experienced in my life, that was, I, I do not currently have those. 
Um, I'm no longer on antidepressants. Um, and, and all of these things like you could still be on antidepressants. You could, you could, um, it, it wasn't like that was, no, you can't go. It was just, let's work together to make it as safe as possible because this is a, this is a big undertaking. And I was fortunate. Like I said, I was fortunate where I got to the point, ironically, it was like, the reason that I gave out my antidepressants, oh, you're going to laugh at this. <laughs> the reason I gave out my antidepressants was because I was drinking and using antidepressants at the same time. And <laughs> my doctor, right at the very beginning, when she prescribed them to me, when I was like 22, she said, you can't drink while you're, you, while you're taking these. And I said, you know, I had like fear and trepidation and I'm like, okay, yeah. Okay. I think I can do that. So I think it was like two weeks maybe that I took antidepressants and I didn't drink anything. Um, and then like after two weeks, like I remember sitting with my boyfriend at the time and we were sitting at like a Krabby Joe's, like just a restaurant, one of those chain restaurants. And we ordered two pints and I remember drinking that pint and just being like, I'm so silly, but I remember drinking that pint and being like, okay, I feel fine. I feel fine. This is good. This, I feel like normal, like nice and buzz. Like I usually do when I drink. I'm like, what was that doctor talking about? There's no problem mixing my antidepressants with my beer. Like, right. she's crazy. <laughs> like, what is she talking about? I can do this. This is great. Um, and so I think I took it a bit easy for, again, like a few weeks while I was adjusting to my antidepressants. But then, you know, after a little while, it's like, no, I'm using both in full force. I'm taking the antidepressants as just as prescribed. And I'm drinking my beer as I prescribe for myself, which is as much as I need to keep me going. Right. And, and that was my duality. That was what I worked with. That's how I got through. And I drink caffeine during the day and it's all good. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I'm 22. Life is fine. Um, so yeah, after a few years of that, it became, it got to the point where it was like, are you going to take the antidepressants or are you going to drink the beer? And I'm like, no question. I, I choose booze. No so question. you gave up the antidepressants then? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or the booze. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, I, so I gave up the antidepressants and there really wasn't much difference. Cause I'm, you know, I'm already anyway, that's, I'm sure that a lot of listeners can relate to that because yeah. Yeah. So um, you're getting ready to drink this ayahuasca. Yes. And are you in Costa Rica now? Yeah. So February, he gave me the okay to go. And um, uh, like was said, that 2020? February 2020 was the trip. Yep. February 2nd, I was on a plane. February 3rd, I was there. I was in the ceremony. I was doing it. And uh, it, so again, coming up to that New Year's Eve right before I had in my head that maybe I would drink a glass of champagne on New Year's Eve. You know, it just seemed like that's something that I could do is drink a glass of champagne. And the therapist, before telling me that I was okay to go on the trip, he said to me, can you stay sober until you go on the trip? And so just that, just that one question, because his, the obligation was one month of sobriety. And so I'm looking at the calendar and I'm thinking, okay, so I'm drinking ayahuasca February 3rd. That means I could have a drink December 31st on New Year's <laughs> Eve. 
<laughs> right. But I'm looking at the calendar and I'm like, there's no reason I can't have a glass of champagne. Um, but this therapist is on a phone call with me before the New Year's Eve. And he's saying, can you stay sober all the way up until this trip? And, I, and before I could think about it, like my answer is yes, because I just wanted him to say, like, you're you're approved to go. And so I said, yeah. <laughs> and then I hang up the phone with him and I'm like, shit, I told him I was going to stay sober. That means I don't get my glass of champagne on New Year's Eve. Oh, damn it. Okay, well, I guess I'll be a woman of my word and I'll keep that promise and I'll, I'll stay sober for the trip. I like and that phone call. Yeah, yeah. But it was fucking hard. It was so hard because <clears throat> like I said, suddenly I'm without booze, which is my favorite best friend medicine you know, for, since I was 16. And now you're telling me no caffeine, no sex, no other drugs, no meat, no dare. Like it was just crazy, but I right. did it. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, the list is huge. And then the challenge right in front of you. I mean, it even screwed up your plans, your new year's was, plans. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was amazing. But, but I'm so, yeah. And in retrospect, right. I'm so glad that that happened the way it did because now my sober date is August 19th, 2019. And I have a sober twin, Dan. Um, and Dan actually lives really close to me. Dan lives about 40, 45 minutes away from me. Um, and we have, we share that sober date and it's just, it's really, it's a special relationship that I wouldn't have if I had drank that glass of champagne on New Year's Eve. Right. Which right. is kind of cool. I just, I think about that and I think that's, you know, and I have another sober twin if I did drink that glass of champagne, but I really love Dan and Dan and I just, it's he's, a cool, he's a cool guy. Cause I know who you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. 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 He's great. And I think he drives trucks too, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. 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 He would drop by my work um, and he'd send me a text if he was going through the city and he would say, Amy, I'm coming by and, and do you want to have coffee? And, and he'd come to my work and we'd just have a hug and say hello. And it was really, really cool. nice. Yeah. So um, how did the ayahuasca go? <laughs> it went in every way like that I could not imagine it was bliss it was ecstasy it was terror it was the scariest thing I'd ever the scariest like experience I've ever had and then the most beautiful experience I've ever had so it was it was big it was uh it was everything it was everything and I and I won't you know, I won't go on for two hours about it because I can. <laughs> okay, okay. So you did that. But, you did that challenge. Um, yeah, you, you I found out more about yourself during that trip. Drifter, I found out everything about myself. Everything. I found out everything that I never knew I was looking for. It was all there in my second night of ceremony. The experience that I had was beyond anything that I thought I could experience on this planet. Like no word of a lie. I, I 
drank this plant medicine and I remember sitting there underneath the stars, looking at one of the facilitators and I like, you know, and stars are in my eyes and, and he, as a facilitator, you also drink plant medicine. Um, but, but, um, usually a smaller dose than what the guests will have. Um, or if not a smaller dose, then, then something like they're, they're practiced in drinking it. And so anyways, the dosage doesn't matter, but my point is there I am in this total like other world experience. And I'm looking at him and just being like, is this for real? Because like, this is all the healing that I, I had been looking for my entire life. And I'm sitting here and all I had to go through <laughs> was depression and alcoholism and right. being in the closet from those things. Um, my sexuality, that was something that I battled as well. My identity in, in my sexual or- orientation, that was, a, that was one of the root causes of my um, my drinking and my, and my depression as well. It was like, you know, all these things that I covered up and all of that I'm sitting there in Costa Rica under the stars with this plant medicine and suddenly all of it was worth it. It was like the light, the light was shining through me and on me and around me. And it was all, it was unbelievable. Um, So that was my second medicine ceremony. And I did eight medicine ceremonies in total. By the time I got home, February 18th was the last day in Costa Rica. And I came home, my grandma was very sick and she was dying. And when I got home, I was a completely new person. Um, And I, I, in the best way, in the best way. It was like everything I wanted had, had paved the way for me to be this person now. Um, And you had direction and focus where you wanted to go. Yes. I, like I said, there was that memory of wanting the champagne on New Year's Eve was, was totally just a memory now because I had never been more sure that so if sobriety had brought me to this place where I got to go to Costa Rica to help heal myself even further and to dive that deep, um, like sobriety was the gateway to, to more healing. And so, yeah, I was completely sure that the nine months was going to turn into 10 months and 11 months. And I was looking forward to my one year. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So, but you came back and you had to deal with your grandmother dying I guess yeah yeah um it was um I'm wearing her ring right now I see oh that's beautiful yeah sorry your listeners can't see it (laughs) yeah what is what rock is that I actually don't know um it's kind of like uh purplish pink right yes yeah, my mom thought maybe it was like a sapphire or, or I yeah, don't know. Yeah, and it's shaped in like there's three pieces together. I love it a lot, but yeah, it's um, beautiful. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was. She was. Um, 
she had been, you know, on that transition for a little while. And so we knew that she was going to be leaving the earth plane soon. Of course, like she, so, and she's, I'm 32 years old. She passed, I was 31 and she'd been there my whole life. She babysat us when we were kids. You know, she was the, she was the everyday grandma. Um, so, so you I guys was were, just, you guys were close. Yeah. Yeah, we were. That's cool. We still That's are. Cool that <laughs> you, you still are. And it's cool that you got to share. Uh, she got to share your life and you got to share hers. That's really cool. You know what I was really grateful for when, when she was passing, it was like, and the last like few years of her life, I was super grateful that I got sober in time to spend time with her where I was recognizing just the value of being together because she was in her nineties. My grandma was not, I remember my grandma's 90th birthday and me and my three sisters were driving to my mom's house for my grandma's 90th birthday party. Um, we were all drinking. We'd all been drinking the night before. And we actually pulled over on the side of the road because we're all hung over. Somebody threw up. Somebody else had to go to the bathroom. And like this was this this drive was like 45 minutes. And we couldn't make it. Isn't that ridiculous? We couldn't make right. it. That's that's addiction right there. That's addiction. We couldn't make it 45 minutes without somebody puking, somebody needing the washroom, and like just all of us sort of just like trying to get through. And here we are going to my grandma's 90th birthday, which again, there's many moments that I look back on and go, oh damn, I was hung over for that. I was felt like shit <laughs> right. for that. But yeah, after um when she entered her 90s, it definitely was kind of like, okay. We, I have a long, uh, long, like the people in my family seem to live pretty long lives on my mom's side. And this, so this is my mom's mom. And so I thought, you know, she'd live to a very old age, but once you hit 90, it's like, okay, let's. That's an old age. That's an old age. I know. Yeah. Yeah. But guess how long she did live. How long? 97. Wow. Yeah. That's a full life. That's a big, big life. It is. Yeah. Beautiful. She had a beautiful life. And, um, but yeah, once, once she was like, you know, in her nineties, it was like, okay, let's actually like, let's enjoy these moments together because there's few and far between. And well, I'll tell you, um, you get to enjoy those moments and it's a blessing. And for me, it's something that I had to deal with. My grandmother paid me to leave my hometown when I was in my early 20s. And then she died while I was in prison. So I never, I never got that. So cherish what you have. You know yes. what I mean? And that's to anybody out there. Cherish yeah. what you have because not that's a gift that you got. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, why did it take me to you know, to look at my grandma in her nineties before I was like, Oh, I should pay attention and nurture this special relationship. Why did it take me that long? Like it, you know, well, it, it did. And you got to enjoy it. So you're really blessed. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're really blessed. And it's, it's just awesome. And then with the way that you live your life, you get to continue 
that relationship, which, oh which is gosh. even cooler, right? Yes, yeah. Because not yeah, everybody I, even plugs into that part yeah. of life yeah. either. Yeah, the whole, the whole year when my, like I said, when I was working with Sheila and doing these sessions with her once a month for the healing and she was accessing the other side, um, she would have communication from my grandparents. So when my grandma was still alive, Sheila would tell me, oh, your grandma's here, like with us in the room, like in her spirit form. And I remember panicking because I was like, what do you mean she's here? Because she's she's still alive. Like, so what do you mean she's here in spirit? Like, I panicked. I'm going, are you telling me she's dead? (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't realize. And Sheila goes, oh, no, no, she's probably just sleeping or something. Like, she's just right. Like, it was like, she, she can still be here in spirit form and not be completely passed away from earth and, and on the other side of the veil. Anyways, I, but I remember panicking and being confused and being like, are you telling me she's dead? Like, <laughs> right, right. I just saw her last week. What? what are you talking about? Um, but it was a beautiful gift. I got to interact with her in the spirit world. While, while she, she was still was, here. Yeah. While she was still here. It was amazing. It was, and yeah. You've gone through a lot for your age. You you're going. You've really transitioned through a lot. It's pretty cool. It is really cool. So, the next part of this, I mean, we're going from a really good part, but you want to talk about depression too? Yeah, and I did a little bit there with um with the ayahuasca. Um, you know, having to check that off the list. Have you been on antidepressants and and um. And that choice between booze and antidepressants, like I said, it was an easy one for me in the end. Um, Depression is not something from my personal experience. It wasn't something that was going to be cured by a pill. Um, It wasn't something that was going to be cured by excessive drinking. Um, And but I, w- I will say one thing is that when I first got diagnosed, when I first went to my doctor and got those pills, that was a life-saving day for me um, because I'd been privately struggling with my depression for many years. And I had, I always talk about this emotional scale and how I believe that guilt, shame, fear, these are lower emotional um, states of being that, that bring us down. And, and it's not where you're, it's not where you have to be. It's not where you're meant to be. I don't believe that this life was given to me so that I would suffer all the way through it. Um, I'll tell you that now, but if you asked me 10 years ago, my answer would have been the complete opposite. I thought this life was given to me so that I could suffer through it. And you were miserable. I was miserable. And this was still in your addiction too. Yeah, this was, um, you know, this was even before I was as dependent as alcohol as I was when, um, when I started to pursue sobriety, right? Like it's a gradual scale. And by, I would say like North of age 25 is when alcohol really started to be 
like the best friend. Um, and I wasn't hiding that anymore per se. It was like, it was pretty obvious that I would choose that over anything else. Um, but when, you know, when you're surrounded by people who are also making that choice, it's, it's not as if there's anyone to reach out to help you because you're, you're all doing it. You're all reaching for booze first. That's what I call the matrix. Yeah. 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 There's a huge um, selfishness in that. Um, It's like, I'm hurting, you're hurting, you know, everybody at this table in this bar is hurting. And, um, and I'm just talking about myself and, and uh, the people that I tend to gravitate towards. Right. I'm, I'm sure well, you worked people. in a bar. You you see the people that came in and out on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a lot of pain in those bars. Yeah, and I lived in inside of and out of those bars for years too. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. hiding my pain, masking my pain as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tough. Um, I'm get, I'm getting a. I'm starting to feel a little bit emotional now. Um. Just going back, you know, talking about the person that I used to be when I was 22. I can't believe that was 10 years ago, but it was. <laughs> and, and yeah, I, I really thought that I was supposed to suffer. I, was, I didn't think I was supposed to be happy. I had a lot of secrets. And the secrets were really hurting me um, mentally, emotionally. I dropped out of school after one year of university, um, because I couldn't, I couldn't function, um, the way that, the way that I had been, I, I always was a good learner and I was smart and excited to be in a classroom but by age 21, when I was going to university, there was so many monsters in my head and on my heart that I couldn't learn. I couldn't excel the way that I wanted to. And so it seemed like giving up that, that course was, um, it seemed like that was my only option because the suffering was so so heavy it was like you know your cognitive functions start to not work anymore and so like really simple things you know like getting out of bed in the morning and getting to class was like it seems like a mountain that you have to climb um and and I there were so many days that I just thought I can't climb this mountain just not today I can't do it today And I would sleep in or I'd be looking at the bus schedule and I'd be like, okay, I'll get this bus. And then time would pass and I, and I'd go, okay, so I'll get the next bus. And I just kind of be in my head. It was, you know, yeah. Anybody that has experienced depression in any way, they know exactly what I'm talking about where taking a shower is success. Um, Making food for yourself is success. Um, having a conversation with somebody is success. And 
all the other times in between are just, you're just existing. You're just like holding it together. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been there. My manic episodes when I get through them at the end, because when I act out, it throws me into depression when it's done. Once I get my senses back, um, where I, it's even hard to move, you know, it's just such a struggle and, and I can't imagine living like that full time. And was that how you were living full time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was in great denial about it though. I was really, I was a really good actress. I was acting for myself. I was acting for my family. I was acting for my friends. I was acting for my customers at the restaurant. It was a big act. And I thought, as long as I'm fooling all of you, then I can fool myself a little bit more too. And that's great. And, and if I'm not meant to be happy, like, like, you know, there was just a lot of days in the row where I felt like if you don't kill yourself today, then good job. So you were actually thinking suicide in these moments too. I was thinking it. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Um, I never acted on it. I never, you know, I never had, because I, all, all, <laughs> I had judgment about that also. It was like my self judgment was like, well, I could, I could fantasize. I could fantasize about leaving the world. And that offered me some solace. And like just moments of brief respite from the pain and the suffering that I was living in. Um, But I wouldn't allow myself to think so much that I would even, yeah, that I would have a plan or I would walk, you know what? Okay, so I would, in high school, there was a road that I crossed to get home and walking home every day from high school. I just remember a few different times and this thought would catch me by surprise, but I would walk home from high school and there was a four lane road that you walked across, like not at the, we wouldn't walk across at the lights because it wasn't too busy. And so you could stop in the middle on the median and then get to the other side. But I remember walking across that road And I'd be looking at it from the sidewalk and just, I would just allow myself that brief moment of imagining what if I stepped into the road and a car hit me and that was it. And that to me, that was like a moment of relief. Just that thought in my mind was good that felt good to me. And so that's what a really that scary place to be. That's a scary place. Yeah. I'm my body right now. My body right now. Drifter is very like, I don't know. It's feeling, it's feeling very protective <laughs> because when I talk about it, like I'm back there. Yeah. And um, yeah, when I talk about it, I'm back there. So, so you went through high school with this and then, um, you went all the way, you got help at this around what, 22 years old. Yeah. 
so you dealt with this a lot of years, pretending that you were okay when you were just, and then at 16 is when you were drinking too. And that kind of helped relieve. Yeah. Uh, you use that to medicate through this depression. Exactly. Yeah. And there was, um, there was some level of awareness that that's what I was doing. And then there was a whole other part of me that, that had no idea. Right. Because booze is so widely accepted in our society. Um, at least, you know, where I live here in Ontario, like in Canada, um, the high school that I went to, like everybody drank. And like I said, like the family that I was raised in, like everybody drank. And so it was, it seemed like this natural thing to do, especially before you were the legal age of 19. That was, um, yeah, it was like kind of a no brain. It was just like, where do we get the booze from? That's the only question. The question isn't, are we going to drink it? It's where do we get it from? Right. And, and whose house are we going to drink it at? Like that's yeah. And so, yeah, my, um, I mentioned earlier, like my father's an alcoholic. Um, he pursued sobriety really ironically, the age when I was 16, he began his sobriety and so i began drinking and he began quitting drinking <laughs> that is kind of ironically huh um yeah it's pretty wild he he admitted to us that he had a problem and that was before i knew really what he was saying um now I look back, I'm 32 years old and I look back on that time and I understand now what he was saying when he said to us, I have a problem, I'm an alcoholic and I'm going to go um, to some meetings and you might not see me for a little while. And we didn't see him for a little while. He had a lot of stuff to do on himself. He had a lot of healing to look at. Um, he was divorcing from my mom or already divorced from my mom. Um, but it, yeah, he was, he was admitting that he had a problem and wanting to work through it. Um, and I was just starting. Well, this was, was your new medication. Yeah. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead, dad, quit. I'm having fun. <laughs> <laughs> Type attitude, I'm sure. Yeah. I don't even know if you thought about it. Did you think about it? Oh, he's quitting and I'm starting. I remember him asking me and my sisters, we were driving in the car and he had picked us up from my mom's house to take us to his place, like 20 minutes away. And I remember being in the car and he just kind of blurted it out. And he said, cause he was facing his alcoholism and he'd clearly done, now I look back, he'd clearly done some kind of reading about it and, and, it, and that admitting to himself that he had a problem. And he asked us, have you guys ever drank alcohol? And I'm 16, my sister's 14, my other sister's 18, somewhere around there, right? We're, two, we're all two years apart. And the oldest had already moved out. So there's three of us in the car. And he's like, have you guys ever drank alcohol? And we're kind of looking at each other because we all know that we've all tried and drank alcohol. 
and we probably all got drunk last weekend, right? <laughs> right, right. But I, and yeah, I didn't, I just remember answering, I think, I'm pretty sure we lied to him because we did lie to him. <laughs> that, was, that was what we did. And, and in my family, it was seemed like the truth was just not something that I was used to sharing. I wasn't used to sharing the truth. Um, I was used to like protecting myself and other people that I loved was a lie. It seemed like the safer way to be. Um, I do not live by that philosophy anymore at all. I believe that the authentic truth is. Um, yeah, you're definitely not the same person as that 16 year old kid. We're going to no. take a break. But when we come back, since you were talking about the depression, I, I just want to find out um, because now you're not even on drugs or nothing. And that depression isn't there. Right. So I would like to just how you mentioned that, too, because let's flip the other side of the coin when we come back. So other people know you don't have to be stuck there. Right. Yes, please. Yeah. OK, yeah. we'll be right back. OK, so you went through all that depression. But then so now that you're off the alcohol, you're not on any depression meds or anything. Right. No. Yeah. I don't use anything except for my God given breath and. uh and I say that actually, um, because I just finished a yoga course where one of the aspects of yoga training is to work with your breath. It's called pranayama and, uh, pranayama is breath work. And, um, I've been practicing breath work, uh, something so simple, you know, and, but offers so much healing um, so when you got off the alcohol um right away i mean because you, you had quit the meds then you got off the alcohol um was you really once you got off the alcohol was you really going through any depression episodes after that i'm gonna say yes um but it was different because my states of depression were no longer, um, I no longer had pictures of suicide. That wasn't like, I no longer saw that as like my only way out. Um, when I got sober from alcohol, it's funny that you say that your only way out, because that's yeah. what connect said last night with his alcoholism that he felt suicide was his only way out. Yes. Well, I firmly believe, Drifter, that the only reason that people um, think of suicide, fantasize about suicide, have this in their mind as an option um, and like make attempts at it. The only reason that we get to that space is because we think it is the only way out. Yes. If you had, if you showed me another way, I would have gladly taken it, but I couldn't see another way when I was a teenager, when I was, I couldn't see another way. That was the only time, that was the only reason that I stood on the side of the road and pictured myself walking in front of traffic and getting hit by a car and being gone. That was the only reason I thought of that. Because that pain is so deep, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
the, so when I quit drinking, I did experience periods of depression, but I was aware that these periods, I was aware that I was coming down, that the chemicals in my brain, I was aware that things were shifting. Um, I was aware, like the loneliness I was feeling, I could make sense of it. Of course I was lonely. My friends that I used to drink with are not around anymore. Of course I'm lonely. Um, you know, I'm a bartender and I don't drink anymore and things aren't making sense. Things aren't lining up. Of course I'm lonely. That made sense to me. Um, and yeah, it was just, there was an awareness. So this is it was manageable now. Your depression yeah, became, once you got out the alcohol, it became manageable. Very, very manageable. Without um, medication. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I had support. I had support with Sheila. Um, and if I wanted to see a therapist, I could. And, um, so I will say that for me, that depression in my teenage years, it was, it was made to, to get to that extreme point of suicide ideation because I wasn't sharing it with anyone. I was just weighed down with the guilt and shame and fear and secrets. And I, I wasn't sharing it with my parents, my sisters, my friends, I wasn't telling anybody the, how I really felt. So there was this dishonesty that was happening every morning that I woke up, there was dishonesty and I'm lying to myself and the whole world. Of course I was going to feel like shit. Um, yep. So I, it's, I mean, it's a cliche because everyone says this, everyone says, if you're feeling A, B, or C, reach out, reach out, reach out. They always use that word. Um, it's true that reaching out does save your life. It's absolutely true. Um, the difficult thing about that, and if anyone here is listening right now who is suffering with depression um, and you're feeling like reaching out doesn't sound like a thing that's possible for you because that is something that goes on, I believe, in tandem with depression is that we feel, we're feeling isolated and then we're isolating ourselves more. Um, the uh, reaching out, we're like, who, who am I going to reach out to? We're just, it's, it's very like, again, it seems like another mountain I have to climb. It seems like showering. If I can shower, great. But telling somebody how I feel like that was to me, that was a big, after keeping these feelings and thoughts to myself for so many years about my sexual orientation, about just insecurities, just like that whole, like, I'm not good enough. And I don't believe that this world, like, you know, I don't believe I'm meant to be here and in all my happiness. It doesn't, I don't, it, it, something's not adding up. So. And the addiction helps keep you there too. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But I, so I'll tell you the first person that I really reached out to um, was my doctor. Um, because I just thought, okay, if I'm going to tell anybody, I'm going to tell a professional. And if she says you're full of shit, nothing's wrong with you. I, I made a promise to myself and it was like, if she says I'm full of shit. There's nothing wrong with me. Then I'll turn around and go home and I'll just keep on going every day and I'll make it through somehow. Um, that was really stupid. Actually, that was not a promise I should have made to myself because if she had said to me, you're full of shit, then my life would be radically different today. Um, Luckily, thankfully, again, God intervened, certainly. And the words that she spoke to me released me from this prison that I was in. 
she looked at me and I'm crying in her office because it's the first time I've uttered anything to anybody. It's the first time I'm being real and I let somebody see what was truly going on inside of me. So I, <laughs> I had like something rehearsed in my head about what I was going to say to her. And, um, I got through like maybe two sentences before I had started crying. And then I'm just in her office and I'm just crying. And it's like 20 minutes of me just crying, I think. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I'm trying to answer her, you know, she's professional. She's trying to ask me some questions and I'm trying to answer. And at the end of all of it, like, she just kind of looked at me and she goes, you're sad. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sad. <laughs> like that, yes, that is it. You just said it. That's true. I am sad. And it's not, I'm sad today. It's I'm always sad. Right. This is, you know, I'm always sad. Um, but she saw it. She, that just that moment. And I describe this story because what was important is that not that she was my doctor, um, not, you know, none of it's important except for the fact that here was another human being looking at me in my eyes, in my authenticity, where I shared something real and she responded back and shared something else that was real. And that moment where she acknowledged you're sad and guess what? Like, it doesn't mean you have to kill yourself. It was just like, you're sad and let's, right? Like you're sad, but, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're not alone. It doesn't mean it's over. It doesn't mean game over, right? Like I'm still here. I'm still in my body. I'm still here. It's not game over. And so you're sad. And I go, okay, uh-huh. Yep. That's true. And she gave me the antidepressants that day and a few small words of encouragement. And then I cried the whole way home on the bus. <laughs> and it was the best day ever because I cried on the bus and I didn't give a shit who was watching me cry on the bus. And I just let it all come out of me because the dam had broke. And I was that was kind of a healing moment, wasn't it? It was. It was a healing moment. And I took the pills like she recommended and and they helped me for a time. And then, like I said, I switched over to the booze and the booze helped me too. And everything yeah. helps and everything. Um, I have a friend who says that we lay out breadcrumbs for ourselves. And so your whole life, like, what if it's you that's leading you? What if you're guiding yourself? What if you left those breadcrumbs for you to pick up? And, you know, each one gets you closer and closer and closer to that center. And so let's let's talk about today. Mm -hmm. um, everything I see about you, you're always smiling. I mean, the sun is up, your feet are on the ground, your head is in the clouds. Is that how you say it? Yes, it is. <laughs> so, I mean, you're you're on the other side of all of this, no medication or anything else, and you're thriving in life. That's a huge difference. It's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. And it's every day. It's um, by no means is my life perfect. Um, going back to that post that I wrote about two Saturdays ago, where I'm crying on the dining room floor. Um, yes. And, and I got through that and it was, uh, and then I had the best week drifter. I think I had the best week. Ooh. I mean, I say this a lot because in, in sobriety, I say this a lot, but I'm like, this is the best day ever. And then, and then it'll be like a couple of days later. And I'm like, Oh, that's the best day ever. Like there's just, I think I've so even much... seen you say that Tuesdays are my favorite. And then maybe yeah. somewhere you'll see 
Mondays are my favorite, <laughs> right? You got it's, favorite. Every day of the week is actually a favorite. You still do have moments that were in that post you, you wrote. You were uh, underneath the table in the kitchen floor uh, crying with your dog, Molly. Mm-hmm. Um, swimming with the sharks. You, you said that uh, whoever you were talking to punctured your life raft and let you swim with the sharks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it had been a few weeks and I was, uh, I just was denying myself the awareness of some, some fear-based thoughts that I had some self doubt just about my direction in life. Um, a personal relationship of mine that was really, really important to me. I could no longer see where it was going. And, um, and I was sort of like just in denial about that and looking through my rose colored glasses instead. Um, and then I really, yeah, I came face to face with some of those thoughts and fears and self doubts. And yeah, that was a day where I thought, you know, in the past, like that would have, that would have taken me completely underwater and I would have been eaten alive by those sharks, but. And you could have stayed down there for weeks. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's the difference is that, um, by the end of that evening, I didn't sleep well that night and Sunday wasn't the greatest day ever. I'm going to say that, but by Monday morning and the rest of that week, I had a glorious, glorious week. It was, um, really healthy and healing and I smiled and laughed and had so much I was full of so much joy and love and it's like so yeah looking back at that night versus 15 years ago I've never known I've never known these highs the way that I do now like I said this yoga course that I took where we practice pranayama which is breath work um yoga alone when I practice it now, because I found yoga when I was 16 years old. Um, but but it doesn't you just hold. started recently teaching it though, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just got certified as a teacher, which was a dream of mine probably since I was about 17. Um, I mean, because this is what I'm saying. I mean, for someone teaching yoga, because you yoga people are like, you really you're in touch with the earth and everything. I mean, you really get all the meditation, everything. You've really uh, moved yourself from 10 years ago. I mean, even from 16 to where you are now to where um, when you're talking, you're an authentic to me, you're authentic and uh, an authentic yoga teacher. That's for damn sure. And you've been through it. It's not just that you've got these concepts but you lived these concepts kind of is what I'm Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you came out of that. I mean, the depression for you before this last episode would have just uh, probably drowned you. And this time you got through it with your dog right there on the floor, mm-hmm. um, grounded <laughs> and, yeah. and you got through it. And then, and then just a few days after that, you had the best week ever. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and the that's, difference of sobriety to yeah. me yeah. versus um, 
stuck in addiction because you don't come out of you drink more to hide more to hide more to hide more and drink more exactly whatever you do yes and that's huge yeah yeah i will say that um so obviously sobriety is like the one thing that i've committed myself to um and then there's so much there's so much else that goes along with that where like you said like if i could if i could use booze and all these other things to hide to cope with with the pain that I'm feeling, then then why can't I use breath work and yoga and meditation and a clean diet and fresh meals that are home cooked? Why can't I use all of these things? Why can't I use nature? Um, like you said, connecting to connecting to the earth. That is um, the connection that I have to the earth now. It's really bringing me back to like my childhood. Like I walk around in bare feet and get grounded and um it's why can't i use all of these things to make myself well that first drink that you wanted to talk about kind of gave you the illusion that you were going to get all these things huh wow say that again the first drink that you ever had because you want to talk about that first drink kind of gave you the illusion that it was going to give you all these things yeah, I'm nodding my head. Um, that first drink was definitely like, it felt like a promise. And I was self-aware enough that I, yeah, that first drink was, it was, it was like, this holds the answer. This is, this holds the answer to your suffering, you know, which is so ass backwards. And, and that's not my fault. Going back to the addict, it's not your fault. This is a, you know, this is a global problem that we have. Um, and yes, it's, you know, in your family, in your society, it's pushed on us all the time. There's advertisements telling you to drink. Like it's every Netflix show that I put on and there's women drinking wine in every scene makes me like, oh, it makes me sick. Um, but here you were with all the depression and everything else. And all of a sudden you have a release. And it, it was probably, I'm sure it was like a magic. It was my magic moment when I was, you know, what, 12 or 13 years old. It was my magic moment back then. And I'm sure it had to have been yours. And that's, you know, that was your magic pill. Yeah. So that first drink, uh, you kind of, what did that feel like? Where did it take you? You're looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I know. I, in that moment, in that moment. Well, in that moment, it wasn't, it was not, there was not a significance of that first drink. It was just, this is what we do. Um, my last name is McFadden. So it was like, this is what McFadden's do, or this is what high school kids do. This is what it's just, it's programmed into you. This is what you do to, and whether it's alcohol, drugs, television, whatever it is, society, we've created this society to be a place where we need some kind of coping mechanism to get us through. And what kind of life is that? Well, especially with alcohol, though, because they spend billions of dollars a year 
to create this illusion that this is how you fix everything. Yeah. I mean, you're better at sports, you're better lover, you're better talker, you're better everything. If it's all it. a lie. Yeah, it's all a lie. Um, there's other things, like I said, that I will argue are, it's, it's just a reflection of us, right? Um, so I chose alcohol um, and then further, down, you know, I had other issues too other things that I used to escape, whether it was a TV show. When I was really young, actually, I, I escaped through books. I read books and I watched movies and I, um, I read a lot. I read a lot and people would say, oh, that's great that you reading this book and you know, whatever. Um, it's really, and they cool had no that idea you that you were escaping. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think I did either. It was like, you know, yeah, I read books. They were entertaining stories but there was a part of me that um our family my family dynamic um was something that occasionally I needed to escape from and reading was reading was a good way to do that so there's there's varying scales there's reading a book and then there's doing heroin and there's you know there's so many things that we choose but at the end of the day anything that you give away your power to now has power over you do I want to live that way? No, that's, that's my answer today. And for the rest of my days, it's just, I don't want to give my power away to something outside of me when I know the power is within me. Um, and that's what I read somewhere that you wrote. It's uh, how you flex your power um, over that, over the voice that gives you knowing that you can flex your power over the voice. That is badass to me because to me, I don't know if you know anything about me. The voice is my number one thing that I like to talk about because to me, the voice is the number one trap. It's the one that's going to sit there and tell you, oh, you can moderate or here, you feel bad. This will fix you. Oh, here, you feel good. Have some more fun. And that voice to me is, is the number one enemy to all of us. And I read on one of your things where you were talking about how you flex your power. Do you remember writing that? I don't remember writing that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's your words. That you flex your power over the voice. I'm like, boom, cool. because I talk about that all the time, and it's badass. And then you also talk about that we're our architects of our own reality. Yes. You remember yeah. writing that? I do. Yeah. So you you talk about a lot of cool things. And even like that post where you got down into your soul with uh, Molly um, just recently. So, yeah. I mean, here you are, you've done all these different things in your sobriety and you're, you're still growing every day. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You and nailed it. You haven't reached some magical level where all no. of a sudden there's no end. You're all, I'm always healing. I'm always growing and pacing myself and enjoying that process and just being present with whatever is in front of you at the moment. I think which that was just is, puppies. Yep. <laughs> recently. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Eight puppies. You just eight puppies. You, we were going to do this prior to this, but you needed to focus on the puppies. And I'm like, Oh, that's great. Well, we'll just wait till the puppies are gone. <laughs> no, I can't believe that I thought for a second that I could do a Zoom call with you and do this interview with eight puppies around. Like, 
I, I really thought that that was going to be possible. And then I had this week where it was me and taking care of the eight puppies and Molly. And I committed to it. It was a paying job. Um, it was my mom and her partner, their dog. Molly is their dog. Uh, she's kind of mine too. But anyways, yeah, that experience was incredible. And um, totally so like just the you're learning thing. how to be in the moment with yeah. all of your moments yeah drifter i think that for me like connecting with animals and kids animals and kids have really given me a lot a lot a lot a lot and if you pay attention and if you are aware then those beings can give you a sneak peek into the present moment because they always are living in the present moment they're very pure that way um and, and it, that helps me a lot. I like to see my reflection in children and in animals and, and in nature. I like to sit under a tree and look at the leaves. And it's just, there's so many things that, that booze promised me that did not deliver and that I'm now finding. And, Through sobriety. Yeah. Which is, to me, is badass. That's why I love doing these, these interviews. Because there's such a big difference. Just like with Connect last night, he went from death to life now. He's living, he's he's in the present, he's a better father, he's a better friend, he's a better, he even gets along with his ex-wife. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? Wow. I mean, there's <laughs> sobriety brings so many gifts to us. And then anybody that follows you, and like with you doing all of the the Zooms. And connecting with all of these people. I mean, that's had to been a big change for you too. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned earlier how I hosted a few of those and um, not just a few, you've done a lot of them, haven't you? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe more than a few. I yeah. had, I did Tuesday nights in, uh, I think it was April every Tuesday. And then, yeah, I've stepped in here and there. Uh, my next hosting gig will be in August. Uh, with Kristen, she's going to host a couple Saturdays. I'm going to host the other ones. And yeah, that even doing that was like, I don't know. I always say that sobriety, um, it brought me so much, right? Like at first it brought me this community of beautiful people. And now if you offered me a drink, like I would say no, because I don't want it and I don't need it. And I've that's not, there's no question anymore. It's like, it, you know, it's such a immediate thing. Um, but I always joke that I couldn't even say yes to a drink if I wanted to, because then I wouldn't be part of this beautiful community that are like my friends, my, I call them my family. Like it's my sober family, my brothers and sisters on this path. And if I went back to drinking, then it's, then I lose all of them. Like it's not, it's, there's no, there's no choice well, anymore. You, right. Because you see the destruction see the on this side and the value on this side. Yeah. One way is yeah. destruction. There's just no way around it is yeah. death and destruction. And this way is life and healing and acceptance. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you don't have to wake up with all that darkness, shame, guilt, remorse that yeah. you would wake up that would paralyze you before. Yeah. And the things that you couldn't talk about before you can talk about 
And then like uh, uh, Brene Brown talks about, once you talk about this stuff, you can't live in the light. Shame and guilt, and all, it, it exposes yeah. it and it dies. Yeah. yeah, she does talk about that. It's really, yeah, yeah. Then you I have your that. Wednesday whimsicals, don't you? Oh, yes. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Those are so much fun. <laughs> so I, I know it's summer where you live. Well, tell us everybody about that. Then I'll ask you this question. Tell everybody okay. about what you do. When, when, okay. So one of my favorite activities is rollerblading. Um, I rollerbladed even while I was in active addiction. It was like, like I said, I, I still worked out when I was drinking. Um, but it's rollerblading has been a total like lifeline for me. I've put on those wheels and I've rollerbladed kilometers and kilometers and worked through stuff and cried and, and had intimate moments with myself on my rollerblades. Um, so they're pretty awesome. That's, uh, anybody that knows me knows that I rollerblade and they all want to come with me too. (laughs) So, but I don't bring them along. Well, it's funny because I actually, I've actually rollerbladed with very few people in my, in my life, like physically beside me, like it's, it's a pretty intense and I go fast and it's a very like, this is Amy time. Like I'm on my rollerblades. Like this is me. Um, so a lot of people will say, let's go rollerblading together. And I kind of go, yeah, maybe, um, but I do have so much fun on them that I did want to share. And for a couple of years now, I thought I would do videos and, and share um, whatever wanted to come out of my mouth, whether it was about like working out or, or about spirituality or now about sobriety. And it's like, whatever it was, I did want to share it because I do feel I get those highs when I'm on my rollerblades. Um, So this year I, put on my rollerblades and did a short video on a Wednesday. And it was just uh, a two minute message of like some thought that came to some inspiration that came to my mind that I wanted to deliver to people and just say hi to my sober friends, just say hello and just kind of. uh, Well, you got lost in your own neighborhood one day, right? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I've moved, I've moved many times. excuse me, I've moved many times in the last two years. And so I'm, I've been in a new place since June 1st. And yeah, this neighborhood's confusing. <laughs> so I put my rollerblades on and I'm like, I don't really know where I'm going. But um, yeah, there's like beautiful messages that I like to share that come through me. And I'm always happy when I'm on my rollerblades. So I'll just do a video and I call it Amy's Weekly Wednesday Whimsical Wisdom on Wheels. There you go. There you go. <laughs> the title is a little bit long. We might shorten that in the coming days. But so what do you do? Put that on your Instagram page? Actually, I was sharing it over Telegram and over WhatsApp. Um, and I did not share it over Instagram, but that's an idea. Yeah, I was thinking maybe you'll let us put it on our, our website. Oh, yeah, I will totally let you do that. Yeah, we could like you could. But what happens when it snows? Are you going to have whimsical days on um, skis, cross country skis? Because you guys are going to get snow. Yeah, it happens every winter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not in Arizona. It doesn't. (laughs) 
<laughs> I live fairly. I live fairly south. Um, like I'm pretty close to the U.S. border, and uh, so that doesn't help you. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're over towards the East Coast, right? No, I'm not too far east. Oh, you're not. Where are you at? I'm Ontario, so I'm like close to um, Windsor and like. Okay, put that like is. If you were between Washington and New York, where would that be? Oh, well, I'm I'm closer to New York. That's what well that that would be close. Yeah. It gets cold over there. It does. And you guys it get does. snow. But Drifter, last year I was rollerblading in November. What were you doing in December and January? <laughs> <laughs> I want to build our resources page on the website to have things like that whimsical Wednesdays or just videos where people can go and get whatever resources that they want to find. And that would be cool to have that on there because I want to build our resources page with the 12 steps, um, Annie, Grace, Craig, Beck, uh, whatever way you want to get sober. I want that in our website. Because yeah. it doesn't matter which way we get sober. We just got to get sober, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that's all that matters. This has really been a cool interview. And it's really been cool getting to know you. And your life has really changed in the last 22 months. It has. It? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost I, you're like another person that's gone from death to life kind of scenario. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say that that is not a stretch to say that for sure. Like the only thing that I know how to do well, Amy, is not drink because I, I, I don't let that voice. And it's, to me, it's all about the voice. You know what I wanted to say about that is that, um, yeah, when you were speaking, it's like we have to know that that voice is not the highest version of you. It's like because if that voice is asking you or telling you to pick up a drink, like that's your first sign. Like, OK, well, that that voice isn't the truest version of me because the truest version of me wants the best for me. And I know that that's not the best for me. And so there's right. If you just give yourself even those few seconds or a minute to go, Oh, and to make that connection of if there's a voice speaking to me, then that means it's not me. Like it's, you know, I can be the witness. This is what I do nowadays in my life. I try to be the witness or the observer and so in each moment, I can respond accordingly, whether it's a conversation with a friend or it's a temptation, like I can have that moment where I go, okay, is that a voice that's speaking the truth of me or is that some, like, do I want to listen to it? Um, and when I share my messages on my rollerblades, I do it because on my rollerblades, like I said, like I've reached this kind of euphoria the endorphins are going and and I have so much joy when I'm on them like I said like those rollerblades have taken me from the depths of my despair into really beautiful times um and usually and you're like laughing in a joyful <laughs> manner when you're sharing too like you're really happy yeah yeah it's I I can't tell you how right like, yeah happiness come it builds on on itself like you start to laugh and then it becomes, it comes out of you like waterfalls. It comes out. But it's warm. organic, huh? It's not like yeah. you don't have to force anything. It's just, it's there. And look, 
it's there just like the depression was there. Yes. Um, and there's, you don't have to live in that depression. You can live where you're at now. Correct. Correct. And, and it takes, right. It takes the effort to get there. Um, I want to say that on that emotional scale, we were talking about with the shame, the guilt, the fear on the bottom. So in my mind, it kind of goes, it moves up and it moves up into like anger and jealousy. And then at some point there's a neutral. And if you can find that space of neutral, and if you're taking care to be, even if you're just a little bit better to your body and to your mind. So say you drink, um, tons of pop or you're eating ice cream and donuts. Like if I just have a little bit less of that stuff where there's kind of a little bit less sugar, or if I'm watching a little bit less TV, or if I'm on my phone a little bit less, and I decide to take a walk into nature a little bit more, you know, just those small shifts can bring you into that space of neutral. And once I'm there in neutral, then it's easier to move up or move down, but at least I have a choice now. Because right. when you're in shame and guilt and fear, you don't have a choice. The choice is already made for you. Like you're fucked. <laughs> right. You are. Right. You're fucked. And, and luckily we're in this space now in our, in our collective reality where it's easier and easier to be in that neutral space. And if you're lucky, you're going to meet somebody like me, or you're going to see my video on telegram or you're going to see someone else's video and you're going to be inspired. You're going to be uplifted, or you're going to have a moment with a child or an animal or, or a meditation under the tree. And it just is going to change something for you. And suddenly you shifted from neutral into a higher expression. You've shifted into compassion and forgiveness for yourself. You shift into excitement and creativity and creating and making and believing and dreaming. And then you shift further and further and further. And suddenly you're hitting these points of joy and love, which I believe is the highest expression that I was brought here on earth to deliver. I believe that love and joy, like these, this is my birthright. My birthright, it does not involve shame and guilt and fear. Where 15 years ago, I thought that's my birthright. That's what I was put here for. No, 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 no. I've learned my birthright is joy and love and being in that high vibrational space as often and as frequently as is organic to me. And I hope more people pursue their sobriety and that happiness like you have at your age too. Yeah. Because that's what I think is so badass. All you youngsters coming out here pursuing this. I mean, Todd well, is... I 34, Molly's 32, you're 32, my son's 32, my other son's 29. And what a I bunch of freaking warriors. Yeah, I love it when you call me a youngster because I'll tell you, I feel like I'm 100. But you're a wise soul, right? And you've been through a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, you could be my kid. So, all of you guys are youngsters to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm old as dirt. So no, I'd love, you're not, but that's, uh, and okay. So that's the other thing is that, and we're, I know we've been talking for a long time, but it's fine. Um, we're sober town. We can talk as long as we want. Perfect. So when I was speaking, when we first got on, I was talking about all these people that were seeing me and telling me I was glowing. That was when it became right. It was, there was 
it was a clearer message for me that, oh my gosh, this is really like, it's not, it's not magic. It's hard work. It's every day. It's pledging your allegiance. It's having your support system. It's calling, it's reaching out for help, even when that's the last thing you want to do and you'd rather hide under the covers. It's hard work and it's not magic. But at the same time, it, I do find that there is magic that is weaved throughout my life now, my existence. Um, but you're, you're pursuing even on days that you don't feel like pursuing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let me tell you the last, my last week has been, I've just been really tired. I've just been really a lot of work. My work is working me hard. The sleep hasn't been the best. And last night I was really tired even before getting up with Knick and doing his interview. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt like emotionally drained. And then I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, what's, what's Amy going to have for me, man. Cause this girl is <laughs> sharp. She's not, uh, she wants to talk more than just her story. And I'm like, I have no idea where this is going to go. And I was just so wore out, but right away, once we got into this, we started talking I just yeah. got renewed. And I mean, hell, we've been here for a good three hours now. Have um, we? I, we have, and we're almost going to beat Lilo's ass in a minute. And, <laughs> but it renews me. If I would have said, if I would have said, you know what, I'm just too tired. I can't do it. I would have missed out on this great moment of meeting you and talking with you. And last night with the same with connect. Yeah. And also that we're spreading a message of awareness that there's something better on the other end of addiction, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you have to pursue it like you're talking about. Yeah, it's highly important. And uh, yeah, I'll tell you, I only have five minutes left and then I have to go do some more puppy sitting. Um. <laughs> but we're reaching that Lilo moment anyway. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Um, just when you're talking about um my age and your age and um, reflecting on this journey in sobriety, it really has taken like years off where I've looked in the mirror and gone, Oh, wow. I look younger than I did six months ago. It's that's, that's one of the, like I said, that's the magic. It's, it doesn't make any sense. Biologically I am aging just the same, but I'll tell you right now that I look younger today than I did when I was 27. Easy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Go yeah. on to our website and see, or any website and see before and afters. Mm. It's amazing. Yeah. But there's some before and afters. Uh, we got dad's life on there. Have you seen dad's life before and after? Oh, I don't know if I have. Oh, you should go there and look. I mean, this guy, I mean, he knocked out 20 years off his life just by getting wow. sober. Yeah. Amazing. I love Amy, Dan too. He's great. Thank you very much for everything that you do on IAS, for all your whimsical Wednesdays, for yoga, for, I mean, you're just one of those people on IAS that's just, you're a bright light. I mean, you are definitely a lighthouse to a lot of people. And then even when I mentioned that I was going to be meeting with you this morning, everybody was like, oh my gosh, tell her, I I can't even tell you how many people said that this morning. Uh, And they just love you uh, and they love your heart and your spirit. Oh, that makes me want to cry. <laughs> well, and that is a gift of sobriety. You know, all day long I go through and I count the gifts of sobriety. I do it every day. I acknowledge 
what, because I know the difference between walking as a dead man and life. And this is life. I can't wait to see, you know, 20 years down the road, where the hell you're going to be. Because I mean, at such a young age, you, you've really come a long ways. And there's just so many lives that you can help save, you know? Yeah. That's so beautiful to hear. Um, especially like, thank you for just saying that because to my ears right now, that makes me, like I said, it touches me. It makes me feel really good. And I look forward to the next 20 years. That is a, that's different. (laughs) And when you can give back. Yes. Yes. And everybody, she's glowing right now. You are really, you're like a bright star right now. So are you. Oh my gosh. Thank you very much. And everybody remember uh, SilvertownPodcast.com to go for resources and we're building that. And hopefully we get whimsical Wednesdays in there too. I will definitely do my best to send you tomorrow. Tomorrow's Wednesday. I'm going to do a video tomorrow and I'll, we'll, we'll work it out. And And I I got the last Wednesdays and I'll start, uh, I'll get that page going and we'll get them up in the resources. Great. This was such a privilege. It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much. It's my privilege. And thank you for sharing and, you know, I hope somebody gets some insight from, from these episodes. Thank you. Yeah, me too. If anyone wants, uh, you know, to reach out and, uh, I am like drifter said, I am on the app as Amy level under 694 days sobriety today. And I post pretty frequently. Um, I check in and I do give out personal information because it's a team effort and, uh, you know, so 694 days. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> Boom. That's huge. Yeah. Lavelle. Love Lovell. Love Lovell. Shovel. Lovell. Emphasis on the love. Emphasis on the love. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you.